You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Modern Web Podcast. I am so excited today to be joined by two amazing guests, Ben Alegbadu and Jonathan Creamer. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind just taking a minute, like, tell us what y'all are working on these days. Maybe starting with Ben? Sure. Yeah. So um, I work at Stitch Fix. I'm a front-end architect there. Um, been doing lots of DevOps things, hence, you know, this whole conversation. So I actually started off doing uh, component library design system things, but then quickly transitioned to various DevOps related things. So for those who don't know what DevOps is yet, it's the combination of DevOps and front end, I guess, put it together, front end architecture there. So started working on uh, a library that had a whole bunch of configurations built into it. So think Babel, Webpack, ESLint, TypeScript, Jest, whatever you want, all these things that are around building an app, but not actually building the app itself um, there. And then moved over to building a um, web platform built on top of Next.js for us to build kind of front-end only applications. And then most recently been working on a monorepo to collect all of our front-end libraries that we build everywhere and in the future, hopefully pulling in all of our apps to make it easier to have that feedback loop for testing uh, new mm. changes. So that's it at a high level. I love it. And you're, you're jumping into my first question before I got there. So we'll, we'll come back to that in just a minute because I want to hear more about this DevOps thing. But Jonathan, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on? Yeah, so uh, let's see. Uh, I am Jonathan Creamer. And I am a senior engineer at Microsoft, and uh, I have been working on a team inside of Office uh, called ES365. And deeper down in there, we have a team called OneJS, and we basically have a, a monorepo filled with lots of code from all over the Microsoft 365 suite. The primary thing that we started with was the little avatar component in Teams, and then it grew and grew and grew, and now we have you know, things like a, a good chunk of Office uh, web is in there. And so to Ben's point, we have that monorepo that we've been working on that allows for quick feedback loop of testing that little component that might render in Teams or in the ribbon or in various other components across the ecosystem of Microsoft 365. So our team, similar to Ben's, does the DevOps, which we'll get into, of, uh, of that system, helps developers focus on what they want to do day to day, let them get working, standardizing stuff. And uh, I'm sure like Ben and I will get into all the weeds of, of, of what we do on this DevOps stuff more, but more or less, that's what I have been doing. And uh, for those of you listeners who don't know, Ben and I actually used to work together as well. Yeah. Uh, that's right. So there's a couple of years ago, I saw Ben uh, speak at, I think we saw each other at three conferences in a single year, one year. It was yeah. hilarious. And then finally, <laughs> it's like, Hey, maybe we should just like work together. I work at Eventbrite. You want to come yep. do tooling with me? I, and I was like, wait, you can do tooling as a job? Like I was just doing it because nobody likes Webpack. 
<laughs> you you're talking about the beauty that is conferences and i'm glad yeah. they're back uh and that's kind of how this this came together because yeah. i i saw the two of you very recently at connect tech and uh ben actually gave a keynote on devops and i learned a lot during that talk and i was like oh right. man this really resonates with who i am but i i also felt like that was the first time i'd ever heard of it and i know y'all yeah. are spreading the word and so maybe for for those listeners i know ben you kind of touched on it a little bit but you know what is DevOps exactly the way you kind of described it before you're messing with like tooling configuration but like mm -hmm. yeah. isn't that what what DevOps historically has been is that it like how does <laughs> I, and I know I know I just for, for the people listening I said div versus dev so div yeah. versus dev yeah, and that's going to be confusing but we're talking about div DevOps today it sort of started um, as this like funny joke because uh, what happened was Kyle Welch and Ben uh, and I all worked together at Eventbrite, and then Ben left to go to Stitch Fix. But Kyle and I kind of one day were talking, and I had sort of I had tweeted out, I was like, I, I, I feel weird. I'm a front-end engineer at Eventbrite, but all I've been doing is writing YAML, Docker files, Bash mm -hmm. scripts, you know, these kinds of things. This is not, this isn't front-end. What is this? I don't even know what I am anymore. We ha I was working a lot with the DevOps folks because we were doing so much in the Docker Kubernetes space and CI/CD pipeline, Circle CI, Jenkins, Groovy, and so I asked the community. I was like, "What am I?" And hmm. we had a lot of answers. There was things like front-end SRE, front-end DevOps, front-end platform. Our team was actually called front-end infrastructure, which I don't know if you named that team or not. Ben, I don't know how that name came up at Eventbrite. FE Infro was the name of the team. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you we came up it? with that at some point. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so then some this guy Enrique sort of replied to my tweet and then said, "I think you. I think we are DevOps," and even put like the angle brackets in the tweet. Yeah. You know, and then I think. That from there, it just went wild. You know, I, I sort of started a little bit of a community and Ben was like, this is amazing. I want, I want, you know, I think you can talk more, but you're like, you have goals for this name. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, we're at the, like Jonathan said, he came in and he was like, well, I didn't know this kind of thing was work that you could do, like official yeah. work. And we want to get it to the point where we'll get a DevOps title, just like you have a DevOps engineer, you'll have a DevOps engineer. And it'll be great if, you know, browsing uh, job openings and actually see DevOps engineer as a title instead of, you know, your general front end engineer who does a whole bunch of DevOps. So that's the goal. Keep sharing, keep talking about it. But in the meantime, just trying to encourage people who find themselves focusing on it a lot that it's like legitimate work and necessary in order for front end applications to run. In these days yeah and, and i think that's the thing is like maybe at some small startups there's just not a need for it yet but when you get to a certain size uh there's just a case to be made for a team that manages the complexities of all this crap that we yeah. do in devops because i've seen just these ridiculous charts and uh like graphics of all the things that we have to, and even on the presentation that I have been giving at Connect Tech, I sort of list out all the concerns that I have as this DevOps engineer. And, you know, we do all, we have to think about, we have to know a little bit about a lot so that our end users can just ship code. Because at the end of the day, uh, the main reason people do what they do is to ship features to the actual users of the system. And it's sort of our job as the DevOps engineers to make sure that the 
engineers can build stuff that build that gives value to the customers, to the end users. So I think that I'm just curious, like, is div short for anything or is it just a play on the fact that you are front end engineers doing operational work? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I love that. It, I, I love a good pun. I love a good play on words. Exactly. I mean, this is, it, it's fantastic. So I, I guess then what is the distinguishing factor then between maybe somebody who finds themselves doing this DevOps work versus somebody who would be traditionally titled as a DevOps engineer? Like uh, the, all the things you're saying, I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds like DevOps work, but like you're saying, no, it's actually very different or is it very similar, but you just think there's, there's a clear line in the sand and certain things need to live on one side of this line versus the other. Well, so your, your average DevOps engineer is likely a former backend engineer, right? Mm -hmm. So they know how to ship your Ruby on rails backend or your Python backend, whatever it is there. And they focus maybe as early as the CI level and then everything behind that, how it gets shipped, Docker containers, Kubernetes, like, like Jonathan was saying. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens before that, particularly the development environment. But then you also have to have an understanding of how front end works, right? So you need to understand Webpack, like we're saying, Babel, and understand the concept of compiling or transpiling and bundling and all those things and the value that they yeah. give and your average devops engineer is just is not going to know that or probably doesn't even want to know that right <laughs> yeah. so then now we're in a situation where we're focusing on that development environment but then we have to keep pushing further and further out because how is this app going to be uh deployed and how's it going to be put in the cdn and how is it going to be hosted? And like all of these different things are different than a traditional backend um, application. And since we're the quote unquote experts in how the front end works, we end up pushing further and further back there. I think we have more in common with the whole SRE uh, title than we do DevOps because I think SRE does still a lot of coding. If I understand correctly, it's like sort of 50% yeah. ops, 50% coding. Um, but I would say I agree with everything Ben said. DevOps tends to be more more systems focused and does less code. Whereas, like, I can go from you know writing a Docker file in YAML and then going over into doing some you know TypeScript because or React because our role also bleeds into application architecture. Mm -hmm. You know, if we are um, you know if they want to use some new react uh thing or some new ecmascript stage thing that's not out yet like i gotta go update the the some typescript code that's in the webpack config then turn around make sure that it ships right so that they can use the new feature you know so you're kind of at this low level of the code but then also once it gets into ci cd i've got to make sure that it bundles right there um and and if you talk about things like module federation, or, you know, that's a webpack concern, but also bleeds into an application runtime concern. Like those lines get really blurry. And I don't think, you know, to Ben's point, I wouldn't w wish uh, a DevOps, poor DevOps engineer ever having to dig through a webpack or Babel config. That would probably make their head explode. Yep. <laughs> Whereas for us, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy slinging a little webpack around. I don't know. I've always had like a, some people hate those things, but I, I like opening the webpack config and making sure they're typed right. Especially I think once they introduce TypeScript right. for the webpack config, I was like, <laughs> hell yeah. 
yeah. you're a little bit of a masochist, Jonathan. I, I feel like every time, I mean, <laughs> I spent a lot of time in Webpack. I, I even have a whole thing where I was debugging it on like serverless architectures and like trying to make that optimize. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like my brain exploded trying to deal with all that. And I kind of know what I'm doing. So uh, I, I, I envy you, but also I think you're a little, <laughs> little nuts there, but I appreciate I am, that. I am crazy. We are crazy. But- and to double down on what Jonathan said, it's like, it's funny because we are not working on feature code but I end up touching a whole bunch of feature code. Yeah, so all the time. I'm going to introduce a new lint rule that says yeah. for React that you have to have keys on all your components, like forcing that. Well, when I add it to an app and it fails, I have to go change a whole bunch of code. And then while I'm there, I'm like, oh, well, this is not correct. And let me change this. Or now I'm adding a new Jest plugin to catch whatever. Now I'm rewriting a whole bunch of code that should have been asynchronous when it ran and now it's not and all these tests are failing. So in the end, I also become kind of a front end or front end architecture person too because I kind of see it from a zoomed out level. So I'll find, you'll find or I'll write a run a code mod to change a whole bunch of yeah. code for whatever reason. And now like, you get blame and I've touched 75% of the code in a repo, even though I wrote none of the feature code. Yeah. The just examples are really good when we recently we've been, and we've been having to try to upgrade node. Here's this, here's mm-hmm. crazy thing. We were trying to go from 16 to 18, mm-hmm. but there was a perf blocker with uh, enzyme uh, going to 18. And mm-hmm. so in order, yeah. and so all we want, all we like a DevOps engineer might have just done the upgrade to node and been like, hey, I don't, something's broken, you guys can't. Yeah. <laughs> but whereas we make this upgrade to Node and then we're like, okay, we have to get rid of Enzyme. Yep. And 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 so what we had to do is we had to have a team of, a, of like four to five full-time people who maintain these common dependency upgrades. And so we're coordinating with them and they are using AI right now, I, I kid you not, to convert from Enzyme to React testing library. No way. So that we can upgrade node and like a traditional devops engineer would have never gone to those lengths like or maybe they i don't know if they had to they would have like that's what they don't have to when they have us around because we know the right way to to attack this stuff like enzyme sucks for these reasons it was great when airbnb made it back in the day it was like the only way to to mount your rack opponents to test them but thank god for kent c dodds and rack testing library and then thank god for ai that i can just say hey get rid of this enzyme, put rec testing library in there. We did that. And now about two weeks ago, we finally shipped node 18 and we're on the track to get to wow. 20. So that's, that's the kind of stuff we do. Wait, great. can we, can we pause and are you all going to share that with everybody? You know, cause there's other people who have this problem of migrating from enzyme to RTL and we, yeah. we need some AI too. just stick it in Bard or, or put it wherever. I can ask, uh, I can ask them um, for, you know, like I said, there were a few folks in, uh, in, in our IDC team that did some of that, but I'll ask around and see if they have some good concrete uh, yeah. stuff that they, I can share publicly about how they did that. But yeah. Give it to me in a gist. Like, I don't care. <laughs> it could be that that would be very cool. I would <laughs> use that too. Write it down. <laughs> And that's the beauty of this podcast is bringing collaboration together and like learning yeah. about what each other are doing so we can go help each other. I love mm-hmm. this. Well, um, that's, that's also like- why we have the DevOps community is, is things like that. So we have the um, Discord server, which a bunch of people have jumped into and we're trying to make it more active. And folks yeah. are, you know, how are you m- migrating from Enzyme to React Testing Library? And then Jonathan can come in and share or 
how are you dealing with um, Babel configs or run in V or, you know, all kinds of different things where uh, we're able to share instead of just on our own, um, you know, reinventing the wheel. Well, before we continue with our conversation, I need to take a quick moment to acknowledge our sponsor today, This.Labs. This.Labs is a development consultancy that is trusted by top industry companies, including Stripe, Xero, Wikimedia, DocuSign, and Twilio. Thisdot takes a hands-on approach by providing tailored development strategies to help you approach your most pressing challenges with clarity and confidence. Whether it's bridging the gap between business and technology or modernizing legacy systems, you'll find a breadth of experience and knowledge you need. Check out how Thisdot.Labs can empower your tech journey at thisdot.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. And now back to our conversation. Uh, one of the questions I was kind of mulling in the back of my head is, I know both of you are extremely well-accomplished front-end engineers and, and well-versed in your respective spaces in that in that vein. And now all of a sudden we're talking about, okay, you do a little bit of DevOps, you, you understand how this architecture works, you're making architectural decisions for your team, you're bringing that all together. I was also thinking like, man, a lot of the setup, like, isn't that just do it up front and then you can kind of fire and forget kind of that mentality. But it sounds like this is a ongoing and persistent role that needs to exist within teams. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, asking kind of for our audience, but also for me, like, I know when I'm doing this type of stuff, it's usually a day a week sometimes, maybe a day a month when I'm on certain teams. Like I'm not doing this persistently. So like when you're not doing kind of the what you're defining as the DevOps side of your your roles, like what what are you doing? Like what what is the other side of this? Or do you find like it takes up 99, 100% of your time? I can't speak I, like at the scale that we are, that I'm at now, and I think even really at Eventbrite, I don't know, I would love to try to determine what the, the critical mass is where it's like, you have to be full time on this. But at Eventbrite, we had, I want to say 300 packages, about 300,000 lines of code and maybe 50 to a hundred people working in the system full time. And back then I was hundred percent full time already on doing this stuff and so and now we i mean there were three of us on that team i guess at that point doing that at microsoft where i'm at on this team now uh we have about a thousand engineers that use our engineering system and about 20 million lines of code 2000 packages and we have about 50 people doing nothing but full-time devops work um my my team in particular handles most of the ci cd system stuff which you would think is not something you have to constantly tweak with, but that would be a false statement. We're always working on something. Uh, and we also are like maintain, we have our own, which like this is going into a whole nother topic probably, but we have our own fork of a fork of a fork of yarn that we manage that uh, does like dependency installations that we manage. Um, so we're constantly improving that thing, making sure that it's performant um i remember hearing you talk about that uh in a side yeah. conversation at connect tech uh what were the performance gains on that fork again uh, if you can share that yeah we we took uh our monorepo had gotten to the point where it was like 45 40 45 minutes on yarn one this wasn't like any you know we never got off of yarn one and then we forked it once got it down to like 30 something forked it again and then a couple improvements later we're now installing all the things i said in like a minute and a half or less wow. on average 
uh, kind of insane. So we're actually trying to decide like literally right now what to do with it because it feels like this thing that I, that we have done shared some of it. Um, we did put some of our work into PNPM, uh, recently, uh, we shared some work with one of the OneDrive teams and then they went and were like, Hey, look at what OneJS is doing. Let's do this in PNPM. I can try to find a link to that pair later. Um, so yeah, that was a fun one, but like that kind of stuff, you know, like those things are always there. So for me, it's, there's always enough. I'll never be short of work in the, on the DevOps role that I have. I don't know if Ben, you want to answer the question. Yeah, it's very similar being on a front end platform team. There's always something right. Like in my uh, keynote, I've mentioned all the different environments that, that we work in, right? So there's the development environment and there's a lot around that. Like we're building our, our next wrapper environment for folks to be able to build um, apps. And then there's stuff like linting and type checking and just your static anal analysis environment, right? There's, we mentioned testing. So there's unit testing, there's end-to-end -end testing, there's visual testing, all that has to be set up and maintained. CICD, like Jonathan was talking about, um, being a, a YAML engineer, basically, when you're dealing with... Yeah, glorified YAML engineer. <laughs> and then stuff in production, like um, logging and error handling and Google Analytics. Like, there's so much there. And though each one of those tools are advancing and adding new features to make them better and awesome. So we got to keep up to date with those and um, just trying to make sure that we're on on top of everything. And there's like this kind of self-fulfilling thing that once you have a team and you have the ability to manage those things, then you're managing them. But then there's a little bit more that you have to do and such. So for myself as well, it's it's basically you call it 100% of my development time yeah. is, is doing that um, as well. So I think that brings me to this next question I kind of have. Like I, I remember sitting in that keynote and you were just listing off all the things I'm like, yep, check. Check, check. I feel like I was just doing everything you were saying. And I was yeah. like, does does that mean I'm a DevOps engineer? Like, as, as I, I feel like I, I could distinguish it for myself, but for maybe those that aren't as familiar with your keynote and what you presented, like, how can, how can people determine, like, am I a DevOps engineer? Is this something I want to be doing? Like, what are the questions that they might want to be asking themselves and understanding? Yeah, I mean, whether or not they're a DevOps engineer probably decide depends on how much time they're spending doing this. Mm -hmm. But I would say that they're definitely doing DevOps engineering, right? So if you find yourself um, spending considerable time on the development environment, and like I said, setting up your Jest config or your Lint config or having to do anything with your development environment, any of that stuff, you're doing DevOps engineering. You're not working mm -hmm. on it writing React code for the end user, right? So I, I don't know what the threshold is. If it's 75% yeah. of your time, 50% of your time, then you become a DevOps engineer. But um, <laughs> the, you're definitely, like I said, participating in DevOps engineering. And like I was saying, that's you know equally as valuable um, as the front end code because you're basically unlocking the rest of your developers to be able to build those things better, faster, and all those other good adjectives. Yeah, I, there's a, a post I really like. I think it was Brad Frost. 
and uh, he talked about the distinction between the front end of the front end and the back end of the front end. Mm -hmm. And I think like there's there's a, a case to be made that like if you spend a lot of your time on the back end of the front end, i.e., maybe not so much pushing the pixels, but you know connecting the setting up the tools and and um, even you know really some of the API stuff and and I think even there's people that, you know, do back into the front end work that might not be DevOps folks still because they're like, you know, they're just talking to APIs and stuff. But if you find yourself creating these patterns and these things that other engineers wind up using to make their job easier, I think that's kind of where maybe the line is. Like when you start creating these shared patterns, you know, for back endy type things, that's like a sort of a sign that, you know, your your end user has now shifted to being an engineer. You know, yeah. when I was building React components at Lonely Planet and, Event, and Eventbrite, or I guess Eventbrite was all FE Infra, but at Lonely Planet, when I was doing infinite scrolling, building travel stuff, my end users, the only way I could figure out if they liked something is like through Google Analytics. Like, did yeah. they, you know, some event got fired that showed that they liked my infinite scroll or blah, 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 you know, A B testing, all those things. When your customer suddenly is saying, hey, did uh, Ben or whoever on the front end, did you guys, you know, did, did we speed up your developer environment with this new SWC thing we just yeah. put in there to take your, you know, and, and then if your customer sort of shifts to be engineer, other engineers, then that's, I think, another good signal that you're mm -hmm. probably doing more DevOps work than you, than you realize. And if those kinds of things get you more excited, then, you know, taking a design from your designers and implementing it in react and using, then I think that's probably a good signal too. Would, would you maybe agree with the statement um, similar to DevOps engineers, DevOps engineers are focused on improving the developer experience. Uh, but in y'all's situation, you're more focused on the front end experience developer experience, whereas maybe a DevOps engineer is more focused on the infrastructure and maybe some of the back end orchestration. Is that maybe a good distinguishing factor there? Yeah, I kind of like that actually. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think so. You know, we called ourselves front end infra at Eventbrite, but it's like a it's a subset of front end platform, right? Because you could be working on the design system, right, and building out React components that ultimately other engineers are using. So, kind of a platform level is your your clients or your customers or other developers. But I think DevOps is becoming a bigger and bigger pie of that front end platform side because mm -hmm. there's a lot that's going on there besides your, um, your design system, your component library, maybe like helper utilities that you're building so that you can interface with your GraphQL layer or your REST endpoints and stuff like that. So. I think we've all kind of just bundled it up into a front-end platform, but the skill that it takes to build a component library and the skill that it takes to, or interest, I would say as well, to write CI YAML files are like night and day, right? So you may not find people who are very interested in doing both of those two things there. Definitely. I love that. Well, you're, you're talking about the breadth of the space and there's all sorts of different problems that as a DevOps engineer, you're trying to solve. So maybe for, for, for us curious, like what are some of those challenges that you're facing? Mm, let's see. So in, uh, in our repo, 
one of the things we're leaning into right now is this idea of it's a little computer science-y sounding and math-y sounding, but I like it anyways. It's called uh, sublinear scaling. Okay, so what does that mean? I, I feel like you gave a talk on this. I did I did in fact give a talk it's, on this? It makes you sound really smart. It does, fact. doesn't it? Fake it till you make it, and I have a really nice microphone, which always makes me sound smarter too. So when I say sublinear scale. Then it sounds even cooler. Uh, so it's really simple, though. If you remember math class, y equals mx plus b, things go up at a, at, a, at a consistent linear thing. In computer science, you want things to be faster than that. You don't want uh, things to go slow when you add more things. So what we are trying to do is have everything that we do be smaller than a sublinear, so smaller than linear. So that could be logarithmic. It could be constant. Meaning, if I have... 10 packages, or if I have a thousand packages, the things you're doing shouldn't change much, mm -hmm. right? So your Webpack build, if you have 10 packages, you know, obviously you have a thousand, it's gonna be slower, but hopefully not that much slower, right? I don't want it to grow linearly. If I, if I, if I go from 10 to a thousand and it, the speed grew linearly, that would be bad. You want that to be at least logarithmic to where it like kind of slows down, you know, if I have thousand, 10,000 packages, it doesn't grow much. Ideally, it's constant. And we do yeah. that through through every, both through perf, through experience, right? Uh, we want to sublinearly scale every aspect of the system, um, how fast your yarn start runs, how fast your Git operations are. Believe it or not, that becomes problematic when you have a 30, 40 gigabyte Git repo with mm -hmm. millions of lines of code in it. And so we have to figure things like that out. Uh, Microsoft funded us to have an engineer go to GitHub to fix problems in Git. Rather than just like doing something first party, we went and said, okay, Git is broken in our monorepo, let's go fix it. And so things like Git sparse checkout, sparse index, filter blobs, those are all investments that Microsoft made in sublinear scaling Git. And so that's where uh, a cool thing came out of it. And then the package manager thing we talked about earlier. Um, we want our package manager installs to not balloon out to be you know, 50 minutes long. Right. Um, and so that's where we invested some time in our package manager to make sure that if you're stalling hundred packages versus nine, 10,000 packages, doesn't change much. Um, and, and we're also investing in things like this tool we're calling scoper where maybe you don't even want to do a yarn install of your whole repo. You want to yarn install, you know, your feature yarn install avatar. And it goes and it figures out, okay, I only actually need the dependency graph of this thing so that mm. I don't install 10,000 things, I only install 500 things. And so by keeping this like sublinear scaling idea in the back of our minds, we apply it to everything that we do. What can we do to make sure that such and such thing sublinearly scales? And it even, it even is a, a principle that you can apply, not even just to like code, like we use the same principle for our RFC process because we want to make sure that like our knowledge sublinearly scales. We want to make sure that we have the right people in place to help make repo wide decisions in a way that that knowledge is shared with both ourselves and anybody else that comes into the system later down the road. So you want to make sure that when you're scaling, you write everything down. So that way you don't forget like, Hey, why did we, why did, right. we, fork, why did we fork yarn twice? Like if we just forked yarn twice, and then just didn't write it down why we did it. People might come in and be like, uh, come again. You did what? And then we'll be like, well, look, it's okay. We had an RFC process for it. We wrote it all down. Here's some reasons why we did it. We tried yarn, blah, 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 and all this stuff. 
So communication is another way that you can you can another tool belt to like sublinearly scale stuff. So that's the that's my main focus right now in our repo is is making sure that we don't balloon everything to not work. You know when we have thousand people shipping stuff. <laughs> yeah, and on our end, from a DevOps perspective, it's choosing the right tool. Like that's even mm -hmm. the first step. But even before you're maintaining it and and trying to speed it up, it's like, what do we use? So you know, I mentioned we're building a development platform to move away from rails and react to just be able to write react code and we chose next.js this was probably two years ago but you know we had we could have chosen create react app we could have chosen gatsby we could even have chosen remix like all of these different options right so how do you make that decision who makes that decision mm. it's not only until six months into it that you're like oh you know we shouldn't have made that decision like because of x y and z so a lot of vetting has to go into it and also a little bit of luck, right? Because shortly after making that decision, Facebook stopped maintaining Create React app. Um, <laughs> Gatsby kind of just, you know, yeah. did what Gatsby the, did. <laughs> all the acquisition and then yeah. the, yeah. the follow-up to that. Yeah. You guys um, have an RFC process at Stitch Fix, Ben? We do. It's not as formal as yours, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But we try to you know, write those things down and make decisions as to how we want to extend the platform and, and nice. things like that. I can't so. recommend that enough. That has been a game changer for us. And we actually took it a step farther recently and introduced an actual architecture committee because mm -hmm. there's just so much going on. So there's five of us now that we just have met this morning, actually. And uh, we're trying to document, like, you know, not just new things, but go back in and retroactively document why every decision was made, in yeah. the past, which is a lot, but it's very valuable. Um, even just knowing, even just documenting how our users interact with our system helps scale. Because if we have known ways, we know that when a new user comes, they do these steps and we have, we're working on sequence diagrams. They get cloned, they do this, they blah, blah, they read the docs, they run yarn tests, yada, yada. Write all those things down as code using mermaid diagrams, by the way, which is a fantastic tool if you've never used mermaid diagrams. It's like diagrams as code. Uh, and then it's like, okay, now that we have all this written down, we have this new idea, this new tool has come out. How does our, how do our user workflows change with the introduction of this new tool? Mm -hmm. And we have all this documentation that goes, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because if we, if we change out this part of that, then this changes this part of the user flow, you know? And so then you don't break everybody. Because so if you have a thousand people in an engineering system, you can introduce a really small thing. You're like, oh, I can just change this one thing. It surely won't hurt anything. <laughs> and then yeah. all of a sudden, the eyes down for nine hours because, that, you know. <laughs> that, that can even happen on a team of 10. Uh, one yeah. of my favorite stories, uh, this is actually my my DevOps story. Uh, we were building um, a new serverless infrastructure for some of our APIs that were empowering our front end. I, I say this is DevOps because I think this is the, the API side of kind of solving front end challenges. Sure. Uh, and and we were, and it was JavaScript, so it was also solving some of the same Webpack issues and whatnot. Somebody had introduced a very subtle issue of they imported an SDK. I won't mention which SDK because I don't want to shame them, uh, <laughs> but it, it's huge and it's not tree shakeable. Uh, was the the short form of the story? Like same problems that we're all solving, right? Yep, yep. And uh, 
that one thing actually caused our entire build system to crash for two weeks. Wow. Uh, it took, yeah, it, it took me two weeks to figure out like why that one package did it and then how to kind of revert it. But like we couldn't deploy code for two weeks and it was all because of the way tree shaking and bundling and serverless ecosystems work, which is very similar to like how we deploy our front end applications. Like you think about an yeah. XJS application. Uh, now we have the API routes folder. Uh, if we're in the old page AP or, if we're not an app directory, we're in the old one. Like we have the API routes, we got to deploy those to the edge functions. Like that's a problem we're solving. Same same concept, different different day, I guess. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, great great example. And you like you just mentioned tree shaking, right? Tree shaking, <laughs> yeah. code splitting, ESM packages, like all that stuff has very little to do with actual front end development, but it's yeah. like super key like, to um, building apps, to the experience that the client gets obviously to your thing working for two uh, weeks. So it's like, <laughs> you have to first know what that is, care to know what it is, and then yeah. know how to fix it. And it's even, I mean, it's, that's like it's a web performance thing too. Like you get, you talk about that and then web performance is another area of the same thing. Yep. You know, if you're not a front end engineer that has ever had to focus on that, that's stuff that we end up doing on DevOps all the time too. You know, code splitting dramatically changes the infrastructure side of things, as well mm -hmm. as the actual front end runtime performance observed by end users. Uh, so that's another thing that like, you know, just throw it in the fire throw of other things better, yeah. know about, you know what I mean? Like, yep. <laughs> and it's interesting because that, I mean, what we're talking about uh, is every aspect of the business. It goes all the way from client happiness and usability of your applications all the way to the developer experience all the way to your yeah. business's ability to actually like sell a product make money and and, and innovate on top of it yeah. i mean it's just it's kind of crazy like how pivotal this role is kind of amid everything that's going on in the the, the company journey so to speak yeah i think you said something that reminded me that i remember when amazon a few years ago did like a whole study that like every there was some interval of time after two seconds, like that they measured that six that, seconds. Yeah, would cost them like such millions of dollars, however much it was, because it, of that. I think it was like point six seconds and like three million dollars for yeah. every point six seconds. Exactly. It was something insane. Yeah. And well, that kind of stuff was probably handled by some poor DevOps engineer that uh, that had to go in and figure out like how to reduce the page speed stuff. Because yep. like I would say probably I'm not I'm not trying to generalize, but probably most UI focused engineers who are taking a design and putting it on the page are not super you know well versed in the types of things that we have to deal with, which is like code splitting and making sure that those bundles are small and the you know getting them loaded fast, doing dynamic imports, making sure again that your code is tree shakeable, mm -hmm. you know, by making sure that you're using the right ES module syntax and blah, 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 not doing too many export star, yada, yada, yada things that we have to focus on. Barrel uh, files. <laughs> and that's why, you know, having your DevOps engineer is helpful because now you're not asking nine different front end engineers to have to know how to do that and do it correctly. Yeah. If the, if that can just be the golden path or how, it's just the easy way to do development. It just kind of, you get it for free. Then that enables those front-end engineers to build that awesome user experience or make it look um, exactly how the design design looks. So it, like, it's, it's great for both sides of it, basically. 
I love the word enable. I, yeah. I, I think that's what we are front end enablers is another mm -hmm. good way to put us right. Like we enable other developers to do their stuff. And uh, I, I love that. And that's Ooh. why tools like Vite or Astro or even Next.js exist is to mm -hmm. en enable DevOps, right? So that mm -hmm. people can kind of get those things for free. Because if you imagine in the past, or maybe for some folks right now, that problem of the performance of the website is 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 based upon code splitting or tree shaking, let's say. Well, that setup happens in some couple of lines in Webpack config, right? Yeah. And you know who wants to be able to figure out that line, go to the Webpack docs and figure out how to set it up and such. So if you can have a tool that does that for you, that tool becomes the enabler. And as we've seen, like a lot of the excitement around tools coming out is around those types of meta framework type like things. DevOps as code. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what is this? That is that D D A C A A C. Oh yeah, D A D A No, it's just D A C. D A C. Well, DevOps is kind of two words. Well, I'm thinking like IAC is I A C. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's also the old infrastructure as code, and that was yeah. that was IAAS or whatever. I, anyway, anyway, uh, um, so I I know the two of you have been working together to kind of build a DevOps community. Um, and I kind of a couple questions I had about that. I mean, first mm -hmm. off, where can we find y'all? Where can we engage with you in conversation? And where do, where's the movement heading? Like, what is what is next for DevOps? So to Ben, we we do have a Discord channel that we started. Uh, that uh, you, I think it's. I'll have to grab the Bitly link here in just a second, but you can hop in there and talk to us there. Um, DevOps hashtag on Twitter, you know. And I think like uh, where we're heading, I feel uh, Ben's keynote sort of lit a fire. I think under both he and I again for this movement. Mm -hmm. um, it's been much more prescient on my mind as well. Um, because like where I'm at, 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 uh, at the stuff I've been saying that we've been doing, it's like, I think I'm doing the right stuff, but I don't know. I'd love to talk to other people that do this stuff to see how they're solving, transpiling and bundling 2000 packages. If anybody else is out there doing that. <laughs> so I'm glad that we're on the trail again here. We're doing some more stuff, talking to y'all here about this and going doing some more conference stuff about this. So I hope that we create an even more vibrant community around this idea of DevOps and enabling front-end developers so that we're doing a better job sharing this stuff. You know, I think it's great that Next and all these companies are sort of encapsulating DevOps as code, but like a lot of us that are doing this boots on the ground can't just like switch to Next. Like yeah. There's a lot of reasons why i can't just convince words to switch to net to next.js tomorrow that's like a five-year transition plan at a minimum so in the meantime i want to find other ways to make things better uh and talk to people more so yeah i come talk to us there twitter i'll i'll meet you wherever you are i don't even care just come find us uh and uh so that's sort of where i am at. i just want to grow this community even if it's small it's always going to be small there's not a ton of us out there doing this front end engineering is already sort of a smaller niche and we're like a niche inside a niche um but i want to get a small tight-knit community of people that were talking and saying like hey howard what did you guys do 
to get, you know, this thing down or that thing better, you know, and just figure it out together. Like we're all doing the same stuff. Mostly it's just different places at different types of scale. Exactly. I mean, you will see those blog posts that are like, oh, how do you compare NX to Turbo Repo or something like that? Well, that person is doing DevOps engineering, obviously. (laughs) True. So just like (laughs) having that community where you can talk it through that, oh, Turbo Repo gave us this and this is why we chose it, or it couldn't give us this and this is why we didn't. But somebody else could be in the same situation where they don't need that. They need this other piece and that's why turbo repo is better for them. So like being able to kind of have a back and forth instead of just reading a static blog post, I think um, is super helpful as well. So that's kind of the benefit of the community uh, or even having conference talks around it is just being able to get more of that detail and understanding. I think a lot of companies, like I've been reading a lot about, I've been reading this, which I can't recommend this book enough, by the way. It's called Software Engineering at Google. Um, And uh, that book, the first three chapters of it are incredible. And it was sort of funny. I went into it thinking like, oh, I'm going to read this book and they're going to tell me about like the magical Google algorithms at scale and how all this stuff works. But the first three chapters of that book are about things like failing in public or creating communities, um, you know, all kinds of stuff, soft skill stuff, talking to more people that I had no idea that that was going to be what they were going to say about how they scaled Google. And I'm sure that that book came out in hindsight, but it has a lot of great points that like the way that you do this stuff is through community and through, you know, solving problems together and writing things down and talking and communicating. And uh, that's what I, that's definitely what I hope to, to keep going with this thing. Yep. I think that's absolutely the way that this needs to evolve and move. And I also love Ben's comment earlier because it in my brain is like, it all depends. It's yeah. it's the ultimate, it depends. Um yeah, yeah. sorry to bring that up, but had to. Uh well, we're coming up on time here. So I wanna thank both of you for joining me today and talking about all this, but also uh Jonathan, where can we find you yes. on the internet? Yes, I am basically jkreamer898 on almost every social media you can find. It started with Twitter because Jonathan Kramer was already taken, so I had to use my name and some random characters, unfortunately. But I stuck with it, and it's fine. Maybe one day I'll change it, but I doubt it. So that's where I am on the tweeters and everything else. Uh, for the DevOps community, I found the bit.ly link. It's bit.ly slash div dash ops, coincidentally. Uh, so that's where that, I think that links actually to the blog post that I wrote that talks about DevOps. And then that has the links to, um, discord and Twitters and yada, yada, yadas. Um, I, we, I started a Reddit thing. I haven't really done that very much. I'd say discord and Twitter would probably be the best place to, to chat and hang out and, um, yeah. We'll have those links in the description for anybody listening. That way you can find it quickly. But uh, for those who want to just find Jonathan real quick, and I'm sure it's going to be in his profile or easily searchable on his profile, uh, that it's going to be J-C-R-E-A-M-E-R-898 on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Why was just throw threads in there for fun, I guess. I don't know. Oh, are you on Blue Sky or Mastodon I have or? Blue Sky as well. Yeah, yeah, I got them all. So, so you can find you can find Jonathan all over the place. <laughs> uh, and Ben, uh, what about you? Where can we find you? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter as well. Mine is a little simpler. It's Ben MVP. So B E N M V P. I I got in on that early and now that's really never taken. So on all yeah, social media platforms, I, I'm able to get that as well. Um, and you can also find me on my website, benmvp.com as well. I have like all the blog posts I've done, talks that I've given, videos and stuff like that. So this um, keynote that I got, gave, the slides are up there and then eventually the video will come out and I'll share that too. So if folks are interested in hearing all the stuff that you were talking about, Dustin, that'll be there soon. And, and I will say as an attendee, I highly recommend. Uh, I was there in person and, and could attest to how good of a keynote it was. Oh, so uh, hopefully y'all could take my word for it. But if not, I understand. Um, and I've been your host today, Dustin Goodman. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, X, or any of the other social medias as uh, uh, Dustin S. Goodman, D-U-S-T-I-N-S-G-O-O-D-M-A-N. Uh, before we go, uh, a special thanks to our sponsors over at This Dot. Uh, approach your most pressing tech challenges with confidence, leveraging This Dot Labs' tailored development strategies. Trusted by industry giants like Meta, Google, and T-Mobile, they specialize in bringing—sorry, not bringing, but in bridging business and technology gaps, modernizing legacy systems, and ensuring sustainable application architecture. Discover how This Dot Labs can empower your organization at thisdot.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. Uh, and maybe they'll help with some DevOps things as well. Yeah, thanks uh, for that. Yes, yeah, fun. <laughs> well, thank you both. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you all for listening today. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. See you later, Jonathan. See you, man. Come on. Come on, this podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. Shout it, yeah! Queries do, so come on, let's go, cause we got a show.